Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 62, finally an episode in 2022. And uh, first, right away, let me just apologize. It's at least a week later than I intended to get this first episode out of the new year. Um, A lot has been going on. I've had some winter storms in the area, which is actually kind of funny. You'll hear me talking in the interview about the shorts and t-shirt weather that we've had in my area and the that was recorded on January 2nd and that was the last day of such weather it has been it has been a true winter in North Carolina for January since then and uh, but that's not the main reason why I'm at least a, a week late in getting this out to you um, some of you know already uh, so I'll just uh, go ahead and mention for the rest of you, that uh, my father passed away on January 6th in Florida. And uh, as I mentioned, it was, it's very, it was very touching because he, he died 20 minutes after I got there, after I'd driven the 620-something miles to, to get there. And um, all of his children were with him at the end. Um, I won't say too much about Dad other than um, he was a, an amateur bluegrass musician. He played mandolin, uh, never considered it professional, but he loved to play. He developed a really high ability, high skill on the mandolin and, uh, was a big time fan of old time bluegrass and seemed to always have at least one, sometimes two or three different groups that he would play with, um, he also was very shy and did not like to sing, and he took up singing later in life, which I always thought was, adm- you know, very admirable. At any rate, I'm very thankful for my dad's 90 years on this earth and um, just for the legacy that he provided me and my siblings, and um, just glad that he's at peace. And I thank you for, for those who knew already and have reached out to me. Um, you're your kind words and thoughts have meant a lot during this time. So uh, just, it just kind of goes to say 2022 has not started out super well for me, but that means that there's plenty of room to go up from here. And uh, go ahead and start with getting back to this. And, uh, you know, just a reminder, we're still talking mostly with theater musicians, but we're going to try to kind of broaden the horizon here going forward and talk about some things that aren't always exclusively pit related. And I thought today's guest might be a good transition piece for that type of thinking. Today I'm going to be chatting with Tanner Herod. Um, We'll be talking about uh, the fact that he's done some things in the pit. He plays guitar, but he's also he also plays French horn. So he has experience in that uh, in Texas, in Oklahoma and currently in Nebraska. And we're mainly going to be talking about what brought him to Nebraska, and that is the fact that he is a uh, doctoral student of composition uh, who's studying there at the moment. And he talks about the challenges of, uh, you know, taking that up and being in a new community during the pandemic. And we also talk about a theme that I think is going to be a regular occurrence on going forward on the show, 
And that is the fact that for the vast majority of people who play in the pit, it is a part-time job. What are the things that you can do to not only supplement your income, but also that feedback into your pit experience to make you a better overall musician? So we're going to talk about that and more. Here's my conversation with Tanner Herod. Tanner, you were the first interview of 2022. So uh, welcome, sir. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so tell us, first of all, uh, just a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from originally? Where do you live now? And, uh, you know, if you, <laughs> when people ask what it is that you do, just... <laughs> I know for a lot of musicians, that's a little tricky, but, you know, give us yeah. your best job description. Sure thing. Um, so I am originally from Dallas, Texas, mm. um, was born and raised there and did my undergraduate degree in music education at Texas A&M University Commerce, mm -hmm. um, which is about an hour northeast of Dallas, um, so then I've slowly moved my way up north. Um, I did my master's degree in music theory at the University of Oklahoma. And now I am working on my uh, doctor of musical arts degree in composition at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Okay, nice. It's two, two of those three states I've never been to. So I've been to Texas Although I've never been to Dallas, I do want to go to Dallas just because I'm a bit of a Kennedy aficionado, you know. So I've always wanted oh, sure. to like see see the route <laughs> and yeah. all that. Um, I've been to Austin and San Antonio a couple of times. So basically, I've been to places I, near I, I ten. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, never been to uh, Oklahoma. Never been to Nebraska. It's like there's a whole big rectangle in the middle of this of the country. I've never been to. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to come sometime. Oh yeah. Uh, I imagine your weather's probably a little more like winter than ours is right now. So, right now, especially. Um, so, I'm looking at my phone and it is 11 degrees Fahrenheit outside, and uh, we've got a nice, healthy uh, layer of snow right now. Um, wow. well, it was um, it yesterday was a big uh, snowstorm day. <laughs> nice. Uh, we might get a, we're supposed to get colder weather tomorrow, but since Christmas day, I've been in shorts and a t-shirt. It's been, uh, it was 80 <laughs> degrees yesterday and, uh, I think it got up, it was like, it only got up to 71 today, but it's, <laughs> I'm personally yeah. not a big fan. I grew up in Florida, so, uh, you know, I'm used to this kind of weather this time of the year, but I, I like the break of winter, you know, it's like, and I've got. I've got some nice long sleeve shirts in my closet I'd like to break out. <laughs> oh, sure. For the three well, months we get anything, you know? Yeah, well, tonight it will be a, a low of negative eight. Oh. Uh, so that's something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I want your kind of winter, but, you know. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so the only time I ever hear about Nebraska, I do follow college football, and, of course, Nebraska, you know, it was kind of similar. I, I, I pull for Florida state in football and yes. um, both of those, I mean, those, those were the two teams of the 1990s, you know, it's like, right. And in varying ways, uh, although, I mean, Florida state had a couple of really good years the, in the past decade, but aside from that, like neither of those teams have been very relevant <laughs> in college football for a while. And I'm, and I'm, 
I'm, I mean, I don't even know, like, if music students, you know, even catch wind of that when they're on campus or, or not, or I mean, I even know how much you've been on campus, you know, but uh. I mean, around around here, um, it's it's funny, it's I feel like uh, our undergraduate students are really into it because um, the Cornhusker marching band is still a really popular thing. Right. Um, and we have a healthy amount of music majors that participate in uh the marching band um, and then kind of at the graduate level and among the faculty, um, you know, I mean, we, we usually on a Monday, we'll come back and talk about how disappointing the previous Saturday was. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, I think, and then, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the more I think about it, I wonder if it's not just kind of a symptom of being, as you move up the ladder of being a graduate student, like I only have a master's degree, but I feel like, uh, kind of a tremendous sense of um, alumni pride and, you know, that collegiate nostalgia for where I went to undergraduate school. But where I got my master's, I was like, I, you know, it doesn't, I don't, nothing resonates when I hear that school. It's like, it's not sure. like it's a, it's way up there. But of course, I mean, it was a conservatory. It's like, not like they had a football team. <laughs> right. And so, and it's, it's kind of the opposite for me because I did my undergraduate uh, degree at a school that at the time was a division two school. I believe they're moving up to division one next season. Right. Um, and then I did my master's degree at a huge football school, right. the University of Oklahoma. Right. Um, so that's the, I think for me as an alum, right. um, where maybe I feel the same uh, as you do about the program itself and maybe about the university more generally, um, I can still be a Sooner football fan. Um, right. And uh, when Nebraska is doing poorly, I can count on the Sooners to be doing well. <laughs> right. Well, Oklahoma and Nebraska is one of the great rivalry great rivalry oh, yeah. games that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Actually, it it has come back. Um, so it was in uh, Norman this oh, that's past right. season, and this yeah. coming season it'll be in Lincoln. Um, and oh, my wife good. and I are hoping to uh, catch that game. Oh, great! Well, let's kind of go through uh, you know what you told me again. Let's just talk about how did you get into music and how did that lead to what you're studying now? Yeah, great question. Um, so I got into music um, growing up in Dallas, especially. Um, I was really fortunate to be in like the public music education system um, mm -hmm. that so many districts in Texas um, are really blessed uh, to have. Um, so I didn't start doing music until I was in sixth grade band. French horn was my first instrument. Um, and then by eighth grade, I started picking up guitar because I wanted to play in jazz band. Mm -hmm. um, as maybe as a symptom of it, though, we were kind of told growing up that there was two career options for a musician. Right. Um, you could go be a band director in a mm -hmm. public school. Or you could be an orchestral performer, and there's not that many gigs out there, so you should go be a band director. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and so that was kind of the the mindset growing up. And so, I went to a school that was very big in music education, um, and has put out a lot of successful teachers. And I had a great time doing that degree, but at the same time, was realizing that being a Texas band director was not necessarily the thing I was most passionate about. Right. Um, and it was more about the general sense of music making with other people. So I really um, love the collaborative spirit of things. Um, 
And so as I was finishing up my undergraduate degree and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, um, it was, I knew that the theory composition land was something that I was really excited about um, and something I wanted to pursue more. So I went and looked at a variety of different programs and was looking for a master's degree that would give me a healthy balance of both of those areas. So at certain places I applied as a composer and in certain areas, certain places I applied as a music theorist. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was at, at OU doing my music theory degree, I took composition lessons the entire time. Right. Um, and now I'm doing a composition degree at UNL um, after realizing that a PhD in music theory um, and learning German and French and Italian and writing papers all the time was not exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but at the same time, I really wanted to keep up my playing and especially in the theater. Um, and one thing that I really loved about being here at UNL is mm-hmm. that it's a place that encourages um a lot of interdisciplinary study. Um, so I'm involved in the jazz area as a guitarist, especially nowadays I play a lot more guitar than I do French horn, though I still play horn. Um, and so I'm really active at school playing in the jazz ensembles, playing in combos and then playing, you know, in and around town as well. Right. Great. Um, one of the things you just said is is something that I really appreciate that, you know, that you're, you said that your school encourages interdisciplinary, um, just kind of getting around. It. And that's something I, I've said it more than a few times. It's, um, you know, one of the schools I went to, the one that I kind of feel a bit more passionate about, um, they they allowed me to do anything I wanted to. I got to I got to yeah. Um, sing in a chamber choir. I got to play in the. Uh, I played French horn myself in the band and an orchestra. Um, got to a company. You know, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of schools around here. They don't have student accompanists. They they hire outside accompanists. Now I can't complain because I'm one of the people that they hire. <laughs> but I do sometimes. Yeah. You know, feel for the students who are talented enough. You know, accomplished enough to play that they don't get that opportunity, um, you know, to, to get that experience, you know, while they're there. Yeah. And sometimes it can even be that they don't know that they want that experience. Exactly. You know, like, especially like, like I can imagine accompanying, like I've, if you're a pianist and you've been playing, you know, a bunch of solo rep and you've really enjoyed that, they keep you on that track and you don't, it never even occurs to you that accompanying might be something that you enjoy doing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think slowly, but surely in more slowly than in some cases, I think music programs around the nation are kind of evolving toward this approach. Um, I hope so. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, a lot of it is the realization that, um, you know, what worked for a classical musician for career options, say 40 or 50 years ago is greatly diminished in that particular approach. That being go get a tenured job in a symphony orchestra or get a tenured job as a professor. It's like those, those, those jobs are out there, but the, the number of people trying to get in versus the openings is, is quite, quite small right there. Right. And Um, so it, it, 
so so what we you know we kind of uh you know like there's a podcast that i follow called the portfolio composer and um you know that i really like that term and it's just talking about the portfolio of different ways that you earn a living which is kind of where this podcast is heading you know so you're the first yes. interview i've had since i uh had a brief mini episode to kind of describe how i want the new pod you know this podcast to go going forward and it's not to change what we've been talking about. Talk, we're, we're talking to you know you, a theater musician. In yep. fact, you fit um, you fit the profile of what I've said. I want to talk to people all over the country, and I've, I've never talked to anybody in the in Nebraska. So, <laughs> and I don't think I've talked to anybody who's you know done things in Oklahoma. So we're you know it's a couple of states that we're adding to it. But most of the musicians that I've talked to are not full-time pit musicians. You know, it's like, it's very right. few circumstances where that can happen, actually. And even broad the Broadway guests, you know, they're, they intentionally get time off so that they can keep their fingers, you know, in other pies and so, so forth, and to still be an artist. Because, you know, one of the problems you have when you are the full-time player for a show, even when that show pays well, is... Um, unless it's one of maybe, I don't know, five, five to 10 shows ever, it will eventually close <laughs> and yes. uh, you'll need to find another job and maybe find a job right away or maybe not. You know, it's not that many shows that pay well that are opening all the time or starting a tour that don't have an established player already. So uh, <clears throat> it's really important, you know, pit musician, if, if you're going to do it right, I think, you're going to have to have other things going on. And if you're in more of a community theater or school theater type of thing, where the pay definitely isn't as good, you've got to have even more things going on. So, um, but let, so let's actually well, bring, well, the, oh, sure. Go ahead. So, well, I was just going to say, in addition, in addition to the, the pay part of it, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think it's good that we continue to do things beyond the theater right especially if you're somebody who is playing the same show for an extended period of time right and you're playing you know the same you know 20 25 charts over and over again that are in the same you know at least you know category of styles for whatever that show is right, right. um and then you get you get the next gig that is still in the theater but it's a completely different show than what you've done right or the last six months or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you haven't had any time, you know, playing in that new style. Right. Right. And so keeping it's, it's professional development really to be out there doing other things that are going to hone your musicianship uh, beyond just being in the pit. Right. Right. Um, let's bring theater into it a little bit. When did you yes. first do a show for theater? First time was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I was really fortunate um, to be in a high school that didn't hire out people. I mean, I think except for the person, the accompanist that was already playing the piano book for all the rehearsals and right. stuff. What was your um, first show? I, I mean, I, Guys and Dolls. Okay. Um, so I, in high school, I did Guys and Dolls and Hairspray. Um, one of those shows on French horn, one of those shows on guitar. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and it was just, it was so much fun being around, you know, so many different kinds of artists beyond what you get in the band hall, right? right. Um, and I think at the time, I didn't appreciate how unique of an experience that was because 
now as an adult, we I know that you know so many high schools don't rely on their high school musicians to play those books because some of those right. books can be really hard and you know music education is different in all parts of the country and so a lot of times we rely on um you know people like you and me uh, who come in and just do the show and then yeah. head out so i was really lucky um that i got that experience early on right you know a lot of sometimes a lot of high schools around here they don't even have anybody on staff to music direct the shows you know it's like i've I've, I, it's funny, I've, I've had to turn down an offer from two different people who reached out to me on behalf of a high school in this area to go music direct their shows. Like, um, I've got conflicts during those times, you know, and, and it's kind of hard for yeah. me because they rehearse in, they like to rehearse in the afternoons when I'm teaching, you know, so that's, sure. that's very difficult for me. But so usually for schools, I'm like, um, I can come in for the, you know, play keyboard two or something like that for a tech week or something like that. But right. yeah. Uh, so you play French when you play guitar. Um, have I have I not seen uh, some social media of you playing keyboard too? Do you do you also play piano at all? Um, not really. Okay. Um, you know there are like so the guitar two book in Rent, for example, mm-hmm. has some doublings on keyboard. Right. Um, so it's acoustic guitar, electric guitar, keyboard, and the stuff in that book um, and stuff similar, I can get by on keyboard. Right. Um, but any sort of anything beyond that is a skill that I'm just frankly not great at. Right. Um, so keyboard is not really in my wheelhouse, but like in those couple of rare circumstances, I can get by. Right. Um, we'll talk a little bit about being a composer. What, you know, ha- what kind of, uh, Music? Do you do you enjoy writing? What kind of genres uh, or idioms? I think it's the right word to say if you're in conservatory. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and and like, what have been been some of your experiences with you know getting your music performed? Yeah. So um, I right now I'm writing a lot of um, either small chamber music stuff or right. stuff for soloists. You know. Uh, the last couple of years being what they've been, um, it's been a great time for composers to get good at writing solo works. Yes. <laughs> um, because then it, you can practice, you can practice them safely at home and rehearse with the composer over zoom. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I've been doing a lot of that stuff recently. Um, but I, you know, in that, you know, kind of contemporary classical, I, you know, we always use these big quotations oh, around yeah. what that means and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but, and so a lot of that chamber music, um, has been where I've been living as a composer right. for a while now. Right. Um, just as someone who's, you know, studied composition, I'm always curious about different schools. Um, so, so there was, there was one school that turned, turned me down, um, you know, when I was applying for a master's yeah. and, you know, uh, and I got some comfort from the the teacher I still had in my undergraduate school. Um, there was two things he told me. One says, David, they they, fir- they have to first accept their own undergrad students, so that you, so who knows how many mm. spots they even have <laughs> for an outside person coming in. So that was the first bit of comfort. The second one was though, uh, said so he told me you don't compose in the way they like to teach. It's like sure. you're you're the, this particular school, at least at the time, was very interested in basically atonal, twelve tone experimental composers. Yeah. And I was 
uh, you know, I, the best the best way I could describe myself as a composer would be Samuel Barber in, in that uh, romantic mm, yeah. romanticism, but freely using 12 tone and some other, you know, dissonances, you know, freely using dissonances and, and so forth. Um, but of course, I would, you know, I go off the chart a little bit. You know, I, I was a big fan of Penderecki and uh, Ligeti and a few other composers like that. And um, yeah, but, you know, this this school want wanted that um i was very fortunate to have a composer who prioritized technique over style so i'm just curious you yes. know if that's your experiences in the that, that, I, that's about my exact experience including the rejection to a dma program because i was probably not in that um you know experimental uh wing of the composer world right um then it was, it was, I had the exact same conversation with my master's degree teacher and he was like, yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoy your music, but I just think this program was probably not a place you should have applied for, to in the first place. And I was like, okay. And UNL is a place that is very much, um, you know, technique over like a specific style. Um, right. We're also very fortunate in the fact that we have three very different composers on our faculty. Right. Um, and so it's encouraged for composers to not spend all your time studying with one person. They encourage us to rotate through the faculty. So we have somebody who's does a lot of chamber music. Um, and he's the person that I study with. Um, and then we have another person who's really into electronic music and film scoring. Um, and we have the other, our third composer is actually the director of orchestras, um, and does right. a lot of big, uh, orchestral works, concertos, symphonies, uh, some operas, some things like that. And so, um, anybody that is interested in something will find something here at UNL. Right. And that's been something that's, I've, I've really loved. You know, I, I really like that idea of rotating teachers. It probably doesn't work for a lot of things. Like, I often, th you know, I had a I had a piano teacher I really liked, and next door was a piano teacher who had some really good students. And in fact, I mean, you could almost argue that the average student coming out of that studio was better than the one coming out of the one I was studying with. But like that would not have gone well because I know that they had major philosophical differences on just like what the wrist is supposed to do when you play. Sure. So, uh, you know, and you, it's, you wouldn't be able to really go from one lesson to another, but composition is something that's kind of flexible and you can blend some things. I think, I think to an extent, um, yeah. you know, I mean, you, even if you're not studying with a specific person, right. You probably interact with them in the hallways or maybe in larger, you know, group, um, like the entire composition department gets together once a week to discuss things. So you have a sense of what people are working on and what they're like. Um, and so you kind of know if the personalities are going to mesh, you know, same, yeah. same with those pianists. Right. And I think even if it's a technique thing, like what are we doing with our wrists? Right. Um, that's still a little bit of a personality thing. Yeah. And I know, okay, we're colleague, um, we're, you know, we work well together, but maybe not in that one-on-one -on -one intense, um, you know, private lesson session. And um, I find that rotating teachers works a lot better at the undergraduate level where you're just here longer. Yeah. You know, our, our master's degree students 
typically don't switch teachers because they're only here for two years, right? right? So they get a year of lessons in and then their second year, they're applying for doctoral programs or they're working on their big thesis composition um, or other big projects. And a lot of times it makes more sense to just stay with somebody. Yeah. Uh, In undergraduate, I only had a primary composition teacher, but I had someone different for, uh, actually had two different teachers for counterpoint, you know, or fugal techniques, you know, yeah, had a different teacher for orchestration. And there's something I'm forgetting in there. But you know, oh, electronic music, you know, so had a different teacher for that. So I had four different teachers kind of covering the whole world. And you know, they each brought some some different elements, you know, to the table for that. So it's always nice to do that. Um, On the other side of the table, I, you know, I teach privately, and I've usually have an average of one to two composition students as I'm going. And um, yep. one of the ones I have, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually proud of because uh, I know she's at least seeking to go major in composition. And that would be my first, you know, as a teacher to have a, a high school student, you know, go on and actually major in it. And Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where she's going, but, um, you know, she has, she wanted to, in an effort to take it more seriously, she, she has, in addition to taking piano slash composition with me, she also is a composition teacher at the local conservatory. And I, and I happen to know who this guy is and I know how he teaches. So I'm trying not to even look at what she shows him. It's like what you show him, don't show me. Let's talk about things that I know he doesn't do like, like pop and jazz, (laughs) for example. Oh, great. Let's get into that. And we'll talk also a little bit more about, kind of some orchestration specifics and also a little bit more to the, you know, the business side of a composer. So the, these are some things that, that I know from, from my own experience with this other teacher that would not get mentioned, but you know, that, that I can offer this a little different. And, and I, th- yeah, I do absolutely. think if you're studying, you know, if you can find teachers that that can hit different angles of things. That's really good. Like what the way someone thinks about a jazz band, it's almost like a different language than how they would think about writing for a symphony orchestra, you know? Oh, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. cause I mean, you're for, first of all, the just completely different numbers of people. Um, and then also like we use a much higher range for the trumpet in the jazz section than yeah. we do in the orchestra because a having a orchestral trumpet player playing, you know, high D's and stuff is just going to blow the roof off of all the string players. <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, what, one thing is also, so I never studied jazz at all till I got, um, till I studied for my master's. And that was the first time I had a course where, okay, you take something like a um, a C13 sharp 11. Well, you know, it's like I know what that looks like, you know, root third, fifth, seventh, ninth, sharp 11, 13. I know what that looks like on kind of like a textbook yeah. example. But the way a jazz player thinks of that is that's a D major triad over a C7. <laughs> and the way a jazz arranger might do that is the trumpets get only the ninth sharp 11 13 which is the d major and that's their harmony whereas maybe the saxophones and some other section have the c7 fundamentals and i started thinking what if i thought about chords like that when i'm writing orchestral music and like the woodwinds have their own kind of little 
chord within this polychord and the brass have their own chord and, and it's like all of a sudden yeah. my classical music my symphonic music sounded different and i would have never even come to that conclusion without that different approach you know mm. that comes from yeah, jazz absolutely yeah um one of the things you mentioned when i talked to you before the interview was uh uh, Nebraska is not an easy place to make professional connections during a pandemic. So have you, have you had any success so far? <laughs> oh, oh, you know, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that was a harsh way of me, of me putting it, you know, I think anywhere I, I, I moved to Nebraska in 2020, wow. um, you know, and so that, that was the, that was the hard part about it. You know, I think, I think now that I've been here for, a uh, year and a half. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I have enough work, you know, that I'm, I'm around and um, a decent amount of people know who I am and I've played with a handful of people. Right. Um, but you know, it, it's tough moving to a new state where you really don't have a bunch of professional connections and then things are shut down. So it's a little bit tougher to get out there and do stuff, you know, but, you know, as things opened up, um, I was very careful to be around, you know, events going, going and seeing shows either in Lincoln and, uh, Omaha, which are only about an hour away from each other. Um, you know, and, you know, for instance, I was playing with a friend of mine, uh, a couple nights ago on new year's Eve and, he had come to one of my gigs several months ago. And then I went to one of his a few months later and then kind of us trading off attending each other's gigs led to us playing together. Right. Um, and so um, it's kind of been slowly and surely it's been looking up. And then I'm also really lucky that um, I'm, I'm able to kind of uh, do the, networking part of things um as a team with my wife who is also a musician um she's uh, she works for the omaha symphony in their fundraising office um so she knows a lot of people in omaha and um we're able to help each other out and working as a team has been just amazing for us and that's that's what works for us right you know uh very important thing that you said there is uh just being around events yeah Um, absolutely as a professional musician, I've only gotten gigs two different ways that I can ever think of. And one is somebody I've worked with before gives me a good reference. And mm-hmm. then I then I get a call or I get a you know an email or something like that. And I connect with a new client that way. The other is I meet somewhere when I'm not trying to promote myself directly, I'm able to connect with someone by being an audience member, or I'm able to, you know, I meet them at a party or something like that. And, and, you know, if someone's doesn't have a reference for you, they have to like you as a person or feel like you're someone that they'd like to work with before they do that. What I, I think a lot, a lot of young music students don't realize is um, the world is not waiting to hire them because of their talent. <laughs> and, you know, and they're, it's like that's almost a myth that you, that you need to shed. Um, the world is ready to hire, well, <laughs> people in the world are ready to hire you when you make a connection with them or establish some kind of a relationship. Yeah. 
And it's especially it's a I I really like that word relationship, you know, because Mm -hmm. I think um, it's really easy to tell when somebody is coming up to you um, and their sole intention of coming up to you is looking for work. Yeah. You know, that's that's obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, again, if you're if you're the player that can hang, then, okay, maybe we'll hire you and maybe we'll get to work together and it'll be good. But it's always better when you get to work with somebody that you also enjoy being around. Yeah. You know, especially, especially in the pit where we're in tight physical space. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I, I don't, if I'm sitting there playing guitar, I don't necessarily want to sit next to somebody that I'm not going to get along with. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and so, so when we're meeting new people for the first time, it really has to come from a sincere place of just wanting to get to know them, even if the the gigging part of it doesn't end up working out. Right. You know, if yeah. you if you're the person that like you don't get the gig and then all of a sudden you stop talking to that person, right? It's gonna be pretty obvious that you weren't in it for any sort of, you know, real, you know, you know, relationship connection, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that you were in it really just for yourself. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it takes a little bit of effort on, on, you know, on just keeping that going. I've, yeah. uh, you know, the cynical part of me have always, has always noticed things like, uh, on Facebook, for example, the number of likes that I get from, uh, it well, likes and comments on posts from actors that have, that are currently in a show that I'm music directing. Uh, but like maybe mm, five or 10% will continue after the show. Yeah. And you know, it's, there was a time that it used to bother me, but then I, and then I realized, but that's just human nature. It's like, I'm sure if I was to examine my own habits, I let people go and people let me go. But along the way, I, I, I find those connections that for indescribable reasons, they work. And yeah. those are new friends. Those are new f- future colleagues, you know, and, and, and so forth. And, and, and so it's more about cherishing those small relationships you do get and not like, yeah. And, worried you know, about I mean, what p- people aren't connecting with you. Sure. And I mean, you know, everybody's, everybody's lives are always changing and your situation is changing. Right. right. You know, like, I don't really talk to anybody that I went to high school with anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, because I, because we all kind of went our separate ways and, you know, nothing bad, but, you yeah. know, I moved to Oklahoma and then I moved to Nebraska and, you know, a lot of people went and did their own things either in Texas or in other places. And, you yeah. know, as time went on, our circles just kind of slowly moved away from each other. No, nothing was ever a hard, okay, now I'm done talking to you. Right. Um, but you know, people, people grow apart and as sad as it is, it's yeah. kind of just part of it. Well, it's not just geographically, but you know, people change yeah. as well. So I, I can, oh, sure. I can say without a doubt, I am not the same person I was in high school. I mean, if I was to make a list, what hasn't changed? Well, it's like, well, I still love film music. <laughs> That's still high on the list. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's like, I, I still will listen to and, and enjoy a lot of the same rock bands I listened to at the time. But 
it's like if I heard them now for the first time, they wouldn't be my top choices, you know, and so forth. So, right. uh, you know, I can always tell when the stout, it's like there's a little nostalgia f- warmth yes. that comes on when you hear certain things. Yep. And you rec- and I can recognize that's what it is. It's like, I'm not loving this for the music it is. I'm loving it for the <laughs> feeling it gave me for when the, I was yeah. 17. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um you know, I, I'm not I'm sure how many shows you have done or if you have a lot of these moments, but I do always like to ask, uh, do you have a moment that sticks out as like a, a horror moment or a scary moment from a show? And uh, con- contrasting that, do you have a f- really fond moment, something that you always think about from doing shows? Yes, yes to both. Yep. Um, for- fortunately, I have way more positive experiences uh, then negative experiences. And I guess that's what, you know, keeps me coming back. Right. Right. Um, so I, I did a show in uh, probably, probably would have been the fall of 2019. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm guessing while I was, I was in my master's degree at OU mm-hmm. and my then, then fiance now wife, um, she was doing her graduate work at Wichita State in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had both got hired to do a show outside of Wichita at a small at a small local college. Um, and the show was going really well and we had a good time doing it. There was one show and I don't know what happened, but I had left the pit during intermission to use the restroom and I came back down into the pit and they had just finished the entre act. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it was, it was the, it was the, the geographic setup where I was all the way at the end of the pit and I couldn't get by while people were playing. Wow. Yeah. Right. My wife was able, I don't know. I don't, I, again, I have no clue what happened, but she was able to like run over to her chair real quick, pick up her flute and, go mm. but i had to wait until the entract was completely over and then like cover my face and be like sorry sorry and yeah. run, back, run back to my chair I, I yeah um so that and that's that's something that i think will stick with me um is just like accidentally staying in intermission a little too long right um so and then um i've had a lot of great opportunities to be in the pit i use that in quotations um, but not in a physical pit. So a lot of times we have the ability um, to at least see the audience, have the audience see us. Um, and I think it's especially rewarding to play the music when you're also really familiar about what's going on on stage. Right. Um, so I, I know like we were, we were talking about into the woods earlier. Um, my, I think there's a moment in Into the Woods that might be my favorite musical moment, just kind of of all time period. Right. Um, which is right before um, No One Is Alone starts playing. That scene is with uh, Cinderella and Red Riding Hood, and they're kind of talking about, you know, um, you know, what life's going to be like now that the giant has come and, you know, you know, Red's parents are dead and Jack's parents are dead and how, how we're going to come through this. And Cinderella is consoling her. And while she's consoling her, um, the flute starts playing the, her, I wish to go to the festival music way back from the beginning of the show. Right. Right. 
And this is all, you know, everything that Cinderella has experienced has been because of her wanting to go to that festival and then meeting the prince. Um, and then, you know, having that relationship fall apart throughout act two. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's kind of become this de facto mother figure um, for her. And so using that theme in that completely new context um, is something that always gets to me every time. And so sitting in the pit and listening to that happen and kind of being able to peek up and watch watch that action happen on stage at the same time was extraordinarily rewarding for me. Right. Yeah, that's true. Of course, one of the things I found challenging when when you can watch what's going on is sometimes I found as a music director, I've got to like snap my fingers and get get attention. Musicians will start watching. It's like, we got to play this cue. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. You should always be uh, paying attention to your book. Yeah, that's true. Knowing when to come in. I I guess that's another, um, you know, funny, you know, failure moment was doing uh, Godspell. Right. Um, And that was, that was a show where the, the band was backstage mm-hmm. um, and we couldn't, there was no, there was no monitor system. So we couldn't see what was happening right. um, for the show. And I, I don't know how familiar you are with that book, but there was a lot of downtime mm-hmm. for the band. Um, and so we would just kind of, you know, sit around and goof off because nobody can see us and we can't really tell what's going on. And then all of a sudden the band came in with, the act one finale. And I was like, Oh, I got to pick up my guitar real fast. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, true. but you know, th- you know, we're all having, we're all having a good time and, you know, uh, by the way, for the benefit of any listeners who, who heard you say, when we talked about into the woods earlier, uh, we, we just to clarify, we, we talked before we were recording. So it's like, yes, yes, like yes, I don't remember that. hearing that. <laughs> that probably get, yeah. got left on the cutting room floor, but, um, yep. but yeah. Um, are there any projects any, any shows you're doing now or any other projects you, you wanted to mention? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in a couple of weeks, um, I will be playing guitar for a workshop of a new musical. Okay. Um, that's all about that, that I probably should say right now. Um, right. I, but I think the expectation is for that show to be in Omaha, around the end of may beginning of june okay um so i'll be playing i think i think right now the book is acoustic guitar and banjo oh great um so looking forward to that um outside of the theater realm i'm working on a flute solo right now again we were talking earlier about you know writing a lot of solo instruments during the pandemic uh so working on a, a flute solo for a friend um, that should get played on a few recitals throughout the spring semester. Um, this is a semester where I get to present a doctoral composition recital. Nice. Um, and so I'll be live streaming that on my social media platforms, and that'll feature a lot of the music that I've been working on while I've been here at UNL. And then the last kind of big project for the next few weeks, or I guess next few months is um, we, myself and a few other UNL graduate students, um, composed some works for an ensemble based in Lincoln called the Trace Chamber Society. Um, that is kind of a small chamber group. And last May, 
we recorded um, both video and audio um, of all of those four pieces. And we're hoping that those will get released this semester. Um, we're still in the kind of the final stages of post-production of all of that stuff. But um, so I composed a piece for that set and I played guitar on one of those pieces. Right. Um, so those will be probably available on Spotify in audio format. Um, and the video collection will be posted online uh, somewhere. Nice. <laughs> um, but so we're looking forward, we're looking forward to getting um, that music out there as well. Well, good luck on all that, especially the composition recital, because I know what work has to go into doing yeah. that well. Um, and that was that was before technology could live stream it. So <laughs> I'm sure that's just an added thing now. Um, and uh, last, where can people follow you if they would like to do so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can follow. So um, always encourage people to check out my website, TannerHarrod.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Tanner Herod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Tanner Herod, I think. Um, right. though fair warning, I don't get on Twitter all that much. Right. Um, live on Instagram a little bit more. Right. Um, so yeah, you can check me out on any social media platform and at TannerHerod.com. Great. All right. Well, best of luck of this semester. And again, thanks for taking time to chat with me. Thanks so much for having me. And that wraps up episode number 62. And um, we will be back in a couple of weeks uh, to, um, well, at least I think it'll be about a couple of weeks. Do follow us on social media to, so I can let you know. But I am working on getting uh, actually a couple of different interviews, just not sure when they'll be ready. But definitely make sure that you're subscribed and following so that you will know. And as a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Perolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about the podcast, leave a donation, or leave feedback at lifeinthepitpod.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you receive this podcast. And please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.